How many types of apples can you name? Probably not even close to the 17,000 types of apples that once grew in the United States. Today, I'll be talking about how we went from having one type of apple in America to having thousands, and why we can only name a few of them today. Hi, I'm Samantha, and welcome to Footnoting History. Today, I'll be talking about apples. When I grew up, I believed there were only two type varieties of apples, Red Delicious and Granny Smith. I preferred the Red Delicious. I can honestly say that while I became vaguely aware of other types of apples at a fairly young age, I can't recall ever trying one until I was in college, and it was only in my late 20s with my adventures to farmer's markets that I began to become more acquainted with the true range of apples that are available. The fact of the matter is, that although there's only one type of apple indigenous to the United States, the crab apple, which technically is edible but really isn't all that palatable, we have grown 17,000 different varieties of apples in the United States alone. Of these, only a few are available in the supermarket today. So the story I have to tell you is one of great expansion and exploration, followed by a period of consolidation and, more recently, re-exploration. Apples probably originally hail from Kazakhstan, where to this day one can find wild apple groves teeming with every possible variety of the fruit. Apple trees, however, can be found pretty much all over the world, and there's good reason that apples have migrated from Asia and made their home all over the globe. First of all, they travel well. Apples were often picked by travelers as they passed through, and they could travel for days before being consumed. When eaten by animals, apple seeds can travel up to 40 miles in, in a single day and then pass through the digestive tract of the animal, at which point they are still able to produce a healthy plant. Moreover, apples are adaptable. As with people, when apple trees reproduce, they do not create clones of themselves. Instead, every seed will produce an entirely different type of plant. Some of these plants survive better than others, and the ones best adapted to each locale will survive. Therefore, apples can be grown in most regions of the globe, albeit with more success in some places than in others. Today, I'll be focusing largely on the story of apples in the United States, which is the second largest producer of apples after China. As I noted before, the crab apple is the only type of apple indigenous to the United States. It can actually be used to be make cider, but because of its small size and bitter taste is not ideally suited to even that task. When European explorers came to America, they brought apple seeds with them. Now, in order for two trees to produce the same type of apples, planters follow a process called grafting, whereby a shoot or bud from the desired plant is inserted into the stem of a sapling. When the young tree matures, it will grow fruit similar to that of the parent tree. Humans have been using the technique of grafting for at least 3,000 years, but it takes some effort and it means that in addition to seeds, one needs to transport shoots from desirable trees. Therefore, when Europeans started planting apple trees in the United States, or I should say in North America, they often skipped that step. To be honest, it hardly mattered what apples were being grown, because colonists did not, by and large, intend to eat the apples. Apples were not actually thought of as being a particularly healthful food until 1904, when J.T. Stinson coined the phrase, an apple a day keeps the doctor away, at the World's Fair, which was held in St. Louis that year. Instead, the apples usually used apples to make cider. 
While a superior apple will make tastier ciders, apples do not have to be aesthetically appealing in appearance, nor do they have to remain unblemished. Bitter apples, which are actually much more common when grafting is not employed, make a perfectly fine cider, while sweet apples are really much preferable if you intend to eat the apple raw. Now, when I talk about cider here, we're talking about hard apple cider. The non-alcoholic variety commonly found in the United States today did not exist in an age before refrigeration. Cider had become a popular drink in England in the late 16th and 17th centuries. Like beer and ale, it was popular partially because it was safe to drink. Cider was also pretty easy to make. All you need to do is juice the apples, leave the juice in barrels for a few weeks, and during which time the juice undergoes the process of fermentation, and poof, you've got cider. The ease of making cider may account for some of its increasing popularity in the British Isles. During the Middle Ages, ale, and later beer, were much more popular than cider. However, brewing these beverages requires heat, and by the 16th century, wood was becoming a precious commodity in Britain. Drinking cider helped with the problem, both because it could be brewed without consuming fuel, and because old apple trees could be cut down and used to create more wood to burn. Obviously, fuel was not really a concern to colonists in the future United States, but they were already used to drinking cider, and it provided a taste of home. Another benefit of apples is that the trees are low-maintenance and long-lived. Moreover, most cider apples don't need to be harvested until October, when most of the other crops have already been gathered. Therefore, they are a very efficient crop to grow. Cider production became an essential part of early American life. At the time of the American Revolution, about 1 in 10 farms had their own cider mills, and it was common for workers to receive cider as a portion of their wages. Apples were also used to produce applesauce, butter, and vinegar, which was used to pickle fruits and vegetables in order to preserve them. As we began to expand towards the west, most land grants came with a clause requiring new tenants to plant at least 50 apple or pear trees. Such rules ensured that apples would make their way to the west coast. Of course, we've all heard about Johnny Appleseed, and as a kid, I certainly credited him with ensuring that people grew and ate apples across the United States. But because of children's books written about him, and there were over 300 books or plays published about Johnny Appleseed by 1950, many share this idea. Fewer people know anything about John Chapman, the man who would inspire the popular character. Chapman was born in Massachusetts in 1774. Later in life, he became a follower of the Swedish mystic Emanuel Swedenborg, who preached a strong connection between the natural and spiritual world. Chapman's religious faith later inspired him to help restore the Garden of Eden by restoring natural diversity. Chapman also hoped that if Americans were filled with apple trees, no one would ever go hungry again, a laudable goal, if an unattainable one. So Chapman wandered through Pennsylvania, Ohio, Illinois, and Indiana, planting apple trees and never grafting them because, again, he believed in biological diversity. When pioneers followed in his wake, they found groves of apples awaiting them. Here I'd like to make two additional notes. The first is that Chapman was not the first to spread apples from the eastern seaboard. At least a hundred years earlier, French Jesuit missionaries planted apple trees throughout the Great Lakes region, also with the hope of providing food for future pioneers. Another fact is that John Chapman actually did have a favorite type of apple, 
a Swedish variety known as the Rambo apple. This apple would later actually inspire the name of David Morrell's action hero. So who knew Rambo is named after an apple? Pretty cool, right? And so although apples did not originate in the United States, they quickly became our national fruit, and today they are second most popular fruit for American consumption following the banana. In its early history, the American apple was more often drunk than eaten. In the United States, cider was actually more popular than water, milk, wine, or beer. In 1905, the United States Department of Agriculture published a compendium listing 17,000 different varieties of apples grown in the United States. So why then do we see so few apples in the grocery store today? Part of the answer to that question lies in prohibition. The temperance movement would be terrible for the apple industry, at least at first. Between 1899 and 1919, the production of cider in the United States decreased from 210 million liters to 50 million liters per year. Because people didn't typically eat apples, and non-alcoholic apple juice was just starting to make its way onto the marketplace, this meant that many apple growers were going out of business. While some wholeheartedly latched onto the temperance movement and burned their orchards down, others launched a PR campaign designed to encourage people to eat apples again. As part of this campaign, they also needed to make apples physically appealing. That meant breeding apples that were large, symmetrical, and unblemished. It meant breeding apples that were hardier and that could survive transportation. We also had to start thinking about having sweet apples that people would want to eat raw, although, to be honest, from a marketing perspective, taste has often taken a back seat to appearance. The creation of a global marketplace meant that a few popular breeds of apples would start to be found everywhere. And it's actually possible to patent an apple tree. The patent lasts for 17 years, and during that time, anyone who creates that variety of apples has to pay royalties to the discoverer or creator of the apple. I'm going to mention a few of the most popular types of apples, many of which were initially discovered or engineered in the United States, though not all of them. The first, of course, is the Red Delicious, my childhood favorite. Um, it is still, judging by volume, sold the most popular apple in the United States. Jesse Hyatt owned a farm in Iowa. He grew apples and was particularly proud of a few varieties. There was one tree that was growing in an opportune position, so he tried to kill it rather than grafting it. But every year it grew up new shoots until finally he decided to let it grow. In 1872, he harvested its first fruit and fell in love with the apple. He named it the Hawkeye apple. 22 years later, he submitted it to a competition run by the Stark Brothers Nursery. Clarence Stark selected the apple and bought the rights to propagate it. He named it The Delicious and spent nearly a million dollars promoting it to sellers. The name would be updated in 1914 to The Red Delicious when The Golden Delicious was introduced to the market by Stark's successors. Currently, the third most popular in the United States is The Golden Delicious. Originally grown on a farm in West Virginia, The Golden Delicious, or Mullins Yellow Seedling as it was then called, was first harvested in 1890. It was discovered and purchased by Paul Stark in 1914 and is, in many ways, the archetype of the modern commercial apple. The Golden Delicious is a heavy producer, and it's regularly shaped, uniform, and consistent. By the 1920s, it could be found in markets across the United States. 
Now, my personal favorite in terms of origin, though not in flavor, is the Granny Smith, which is actually an Australian apple, so you'll have to forgive me here, but it has traditionally been one of the most popular apples in the United States, so I think it's okay to mention it in an Apples in America podcast. The Granny Smith was actually discovered by accident by Maria Ann Smith, who was actually a grandmother. She lived for about two years after the tree began to bear fruit. It was later brought to the market by her grandchildren and exported to the United States. The fourth apple I want to talk about is actually not American either. The Fuji is currently the fifth most popular variety of apple in the United States. It was created by a Japanese uh, grower in 1962. The apple is a cross between a Red Delicious and a, a Rawls Jeanette, an apple reputedly given to Thomas Jefferson and grown in one of his two apple orchards. Many of the most popular apples today, like the Fuji, were actually created by crossing two popular varieties, and, the, and many of them have been created in the United States. Several universities, including Cornell, have worked extensively on producing new varieties of apples. So today we are starting to see more apples appear on the shelves again, and this change must be credited to consumer demand. We're starting to want more from our food. We want variety. We want organic options, though, by the way, it actually is harder to grow an organic apple because apples attract a lot of pests and we want our apples to appear unblemished. Most importantly, we want flavor from our food. And many of the popular varieties of apples, although they ship well and retain their crispness, don't actually always have all that much flavor. This can happen because they're often picked early and refrigerated in such a way that they can be made available year-round. But to achieve this, we make sacrifices. To many consumers, this state of being is not acceptable, and there is a growing demand for local apples, whether picked ourselves, purchased at farmer's markets, or in supermarkets. So I won't be surprised if over the next few decades we start to see more different types of apples becoming available in their proper season, of course. This has been Footnoting History. If you like the podcast, be sure to visit our website, footnotinghistory.com, where you can find links to further reading suggestions related to this week's episode, as well as a calendar of upcoming podcasts. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at History Footnote. Until next time, remember, the best stories are always in the footnotes.